1: Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Or should I say, uh, cheerio. Uh, we hope this message finds you well. Uh, we hope that you are a uh, <laughs> a fan of pranks and Italian food.
0: I guess that's our segue. Anyway, I'm Ben. I'm Nolan. Should we say, perhaps, Ben, Spaghettio? o Hmm? As opposed to Cheerio, Cheerio, it's the spaghetti. Oh uh, yeah, 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 that's good, yeah. We were talking off, Mike. I have a bit of a, of a philosophical issue with canned spaghetti, uh, and uh, and you you chimed in, Ben, and said that you quite enjoy some of it. And I I, I mentioned how does your metal uh, uh, phobia conflict with that? And you're like, well, no, you you eat it out of a bowl. Maybe that's why you've, you've been doing it wrong. I think you're right, Ben. I think I need to re- revisit canned spaghetti, perhaps. But certainly not my, or I would think most people's preferred method of consuming uh, this Italian delicacy. Would you at least uh, meet me halfway in that statement? I think it's easy to make spaghetti from scratch. It's all about the
1: sauce. For me, uh, I think we're specifically talking about the Chef Boyardee D products uh for me it's just nostalgia for the ravioli in the can uh, mm. but i i think a lot of us when we're making spaghetti we prefer to make our own sauce that's the secret there uh but uh, our super producer casey pegram off air when we were talking about this uh Earlier, before we recorded, uh, we went down a little bit of a rabbit hole with the famous uh, Tim and Eric sketch, which is entirely just the guy who's very bad at scaring people, jumping out and yelling, Spaghetti.
3: Spaghetti. <laughs> I spooked you. <ya.
0: laughs> <laughs> Doesn't at some point he start kind of mangling the pronunciation and it becomes Spooky. Spooky. <laughs> <laughs> What's so that? That's really the whole deal. He's just like he, he's just. He's jump terrible, yeah. It. And
3: then Steven Spielberg makes a feature film about it, right. and he has to have like hair surgery, hair to plugs. Get the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's he's like
0: bleeding from his scalp at some point, yeah. right? And he's yeah. doing
3: all this like green screen work. It's it's great. I, I would
1: love to hear the origin story. I'd love to hear Tim Heidecker tell us how how they managed to get that sketch from the idea stage to rolling, but. Uh, today we're talking about something that's also a little bit Tim and Eric. I think uh, maybe the best way to approach this is to first uh, ask you guys what you think of April Fool's Day.
0: I'm I'm for it. Uh, I think a a good-natured prank is is absolutely a, a thing of beauty. You know, as long as you're not doing like your mother died. Mm. You know, like oh my god, my mother she died April Fools. Like that's not cool. That's not nice. But you know, something like uh, a well-produced BBC Panorama uh news report about spaghetti growing on trees in the Swiss Alps. Heck yeah. All for that. Sure, yeah, if it's absurd, I
1: I'm, I'm personally uh I personally think April Fools Day at least in the modern age of rampant misinformation can be a pretty mean spirited thing. You know, a lot of pranks, like there's a difference between a funny joke prank and then something like hurtful or mocking, you know? And I, I was famously part of uh, uh, a, a prank that turned me against April fool's day on stuff. You should know several years ago. Uh, so- they, for the record, Josh asked me to do that, folks. So please stop sending me emails about it. It's been so long. But you're right. You're right. Well, this is this is interesting. There's a little bit of a War of the Worlds vibe. It turns out that on April 1st, 1957, the British Broadcasting Corporation, known most commonly as the BBC, rocked the world, rocked their viewership, because they broadcasted a relatively short report on a current affairs like news program called Panorama about exactly what you describe, a spaghetti tree somewhere in the south of Switzerland. And I, I think we actually have, wait, should we just play a little bit of that clip to give people a sense of it? I think that's
4: the smart move. It isn't only in Britain that spring this year has taken everyone by surprise. Here in the Ticino, on the borders of Switzerland and Italy, the slopes overlooking Lake Lugano have already burst into flower, at least a fortnight earlier than usual. But what, you may ask, has the early and welcome arrival of bees and blossom to do with food? Well, it's simply that the past winter, one of the mildest in living memory, has had its effect in other ways as well. Most important of all, it's resulted in an exceptionally heavy spaghetti crop. The last two weeks of March, are an anxious time for the spaghetti farmer. There's always the chance of a late frost, which, while not entirely ruining the crop, generally impairs the flavor and makes it difficult for him to obtain top prices in world markets. But now these dangers are over, and the spaghetti harvest goes forward.
1: Okay, so let's let's pause there for a second. Uh, that's, a, that's an iconic BBC VO, right? That narrator is
0: someone who would have been really familiar to the audience at the time. And how does the BBC instill confidence in its listeners and viewers, if not through authoritative voiceover? You know, you got to believe the words that are coming out of those speakers. And and this was no exception, and this would absolutely have been one of the most well-regarded voices or presenters, I guess you could say, in British broadcasting history. A man with a powerfully British name, Richard Dimbleby.
1: Yeah, yeah, he narrates, as you can hear in the clip we, we just played a piece of, he he narrates this story of this family from Ticino in Switzerland. And you can see video of this as well. Uh, it is an uh, audiovisual broadcast, so you'll see members of this family taking spaghetti off of a tree mm-hmm. and, and laying it out to dry in the sun. Uh, some people were angry about this because they were like, look, this is supposed to be a presentation of facts, not farce and fancy. And then other people, you know, wrote in to see where they could find their own spaghetti foliage, their own uh, spaghetti bush or tree. Uh, this is, according to the BBC itself, believed to be one of the first times in history that television was used to uh make an April Fool's Day prank.
0: That's right. And just, you know, since this is uh, obviously a, a not a televisual podcast, uh, if you were watching this clip that we're playing, you'll see buzzing bees pollinating the flowers and the trees and and uh, these sylvan kind of meadows and very quaint uh, villagery type, you know, uh, harvesters pulling their spaghetti crop from from the trees. Like you said, Ben, very idyllic kind of stuff uh, and also obviously accompanied by a very idyllic score. So. Part of today's episode is about sort of like the the nature of of hoaxes of April Fools Day pranks and w- the reaction that they can elicit. Uh, I've certainly been on both sides of that, and it's easy for people to feel like they've been had or someone was making fun of them or trying to pull the wool over their eyes in a way that wasn't uh, laughing with them but laughing at them. And that's that's all, you know, par for the course of this kind of thing. But we'll, we'll discuss a little bit of that along the way. But first and foremost, we should talk about who the mastermind behind what I believe to be a pretty ingenious uh, April Fool's Day prank was, it was a guy by the name of Charles de Jaeger, who was uh, Viennese. Uh, He was born in Vienna in 1911. Um, He was a freelance photographer before he moved to Britain in the 30s, um, and that's where he got a job working in a film unit of uh, General Charles de Gaulle's Free French Forces. Uh, So, yeah, very uh, on-the-ground, running-and-gunning type work. And then, in 1943, he joined the Beebe.
1: And throughout his long career, de Jäger had this, uh, <laughs> he was very well known for being an inveterate jokester, prankster. And early in his career with the BBC, he even tried to mess with the Pope a little bit. Uh, he was supposed to interview His Holiness the Pope in the Vatican, which is a great gig if you can get it. Scheduling was difficult. Turns out the Pope is... is uh, you know, kind of a busy dude often Uh, when he was told uh, that his holiness will see you on Tuesday afternoon, then the replied, yes, but is he a man of his word? Which, as you can imagine, the priest in the in the room did not find as as hilarious and witty as he did. He had a couple of other pranks that he was kind of well known for. But these were smaller things. These are kind of like internal funny jokes with his colleagues but his idea for a spaghetti harvest hoax, it turns out, uh, was, a, it was a lifelong dream. Mm-hmm. He had had this on his mind since he was a kid, because once upon a time, when he was very young, one of his teachers would often say to their class, boys, you're so stupid, you'd believe me if I told you that spaghetti grows on
0: trees. Okay, first of all, abusive... Uh, this is not how you engender uh, intellectual growth and and positivity and and self love in, in budding young students. But I guess, as we know, the if you think of like you know like Pink Floyd's The Wall, for example, uh, British schools were not necessarily about positive vibes. Uh, if you know what I mean, Casey. Off Mike, you were talking about the idea of uh, spaghetti growing on trees uh, as a concept.
3: Yeah, it's like the kind of thing your parents say to you uh, when you're a kid. You just take spaghetti for granted. You say, what do you think, kid? Spaghetti grows on trees. Get a job. Join the real world, you know? <laughs> get a job.
0: Join the real world. Casey on the case. That's the, uh,
1: that's, that's the interesting part, too, because we'll get into this a little bit later, but I, I want to be very careful. I, I always make a big point of this. I want to be very careful to note that the audience of the BBC, they're by no means unintelligent right it's we just have to remember uh spaghetti wasn't uh, pasta in general wasn't super common until fairly recently in in the majority of the uk culture right
0: that's right well and you know we we know the idea if you've watched any amount of uh british comedy or or you know british read british fiction um you know that tinned foods were very popular uh before fresh foods kind of were so they would have seen things like uh canned spaghettios in fact uh i was gonna say early on but i'm glad to save it till now um if, if you watch i think the mighty boosh but you hear it a lot in different british shows they don't call them spaghetti o's over there they call them spaghetti hoops <laughs> spaghetti hoops mm-hmm. And then, you know, the H just kind of becomes silent. So it becomes spaghetti oops. Um, but yeah, so that's the thing that they would have seen more of. And I want to just, you know, backtrack ever so slightly and kind of make my case for why I find those to be disgusting. It's because of the sheer amount of sauce. Like, Mm. I like a, like, you know, if we could share our spaghetti recipes, but I like, you know, to make my sauce where it coats the spaghetti and it's sort of got a thickness to it and like an umami and like has like chunky vegetables and meat and good stuff in there, but it's not swimming in this watery blood red kind of ooze. That's, that's, that's okay. I'm sorry if I've ruined canned spaghetti for anyone. But that's my two cents on that issue.
1: I don't think you've ruined it. I think you've got a personal preference. It's one that people might agree with, and that you know, of course, if you look at the sales of Chef Warrior D, millions of people disagree with. They probably right. they clearly right. love it. Uh, but I, I, I unfortunately cannot disclose my top secret uh, spaghetti and pasta sauce recipes on air. But if you really okay. want to know, folks, uh, just hit me up on the internet, and oh, I wow. can I can share some tips.
0: I do have a secret ingredient that might surprise you, Ben. Thai fish sauce, just a dash. Yeah, I
1: use it. I have, I've got a fish sauce house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah, a, man.
0: just just a dash. It gives it a, like a certain umami, and you know, it doesn't taste fishy. It just gives it kind of a savory little extra something that people can't always put their finger on. It gives so, it some depth as a, absolutely yeah, as a salt mm-hmm.
1: replacement. So. Uh, Some people can become obsessed with the perfect pasta sauce. And this would have been somewhat familiar to De Jaeger, at least the idea of obsession, because he was obsessed. He was like, let's tell people spaghetti grows on trees. Let's make it a thing. And just like uh, I have always been pitching crazy ideas to various bosses, uh, here, at how stuff works, or iHeart. He was always pitching this idea. So, picture him in the writers' room, in the brainstorming room, at the news desk, and someone saying, "Okay, um, let's see. We've got some pieces we should do on the Cold War, on East and West Germany. Uh, what else? What else is in the news? We want some like human interest stuff." And then uh, Dieger raises his hand, and they go, "Something that's real and not spaghetti on trees." And he just like, oh, "Damn it, next time." It So he did this for years. It wasn't until 1957, he was currently working as a cameraman for Panorama, Mm -hmm. that he was able to find some like-minded folks who thought this would be funny. Why is this a big deal? Because Panorama was a big deal. At the time, 10 million people watched this show.
0: Well, and it's still around to this day. If not to this day, uh, since very recently, there is a Fabulous panorama documentary on Church of Scientology. Uh, They've covered everything from, you know, sending uh, reporters into North Korea. Um, It's really been like a a heralded show with a really cool, rich, and and deep history. Um, I believe it only had begun maybe less than 10 years before this. I think it was in like 45 or maybe even closer to to 50 when Panorama actually debuted. But yeah, the Jaeger got a job as a cameraman on Panorama, and um, he had been pitching this spaghetti, you know, tree story to anyone that would hear him in, in jobs that he had occupied. He seemed like a real character. I, I want to find out more about this guy. But finally, it he 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 pitched it to a supervisor that was all about it. And this would have been the very first time that, again, being a relatively new show um, and already well respected, that uh, that Panorama would have ventured into the sort of satirical waters here. Um, and we know that the Brits are, are famous for their satire. Beautiful, beautiful sense of humor, comedy, Monty Python. Uh, if you ever seen the show Look Around You, that's sort of exactly what this kind of reminds me of. Look Around You is sort of meant to look like a kind of stodgy British news show about sort of dull things like they have a whole episode called Maths and it's about like math and mathematics but it's all fake information and completely uh, ludicrous but presented as though it were real. Um, Highly recommend that show and it's done in like a a 60s kind of BBC style with Moog synthesizer sounds and you know expert scientists tapping their pencils on things it's just a wonderful show but this would have been kind of a prototype for that Um, and they really pulled it off as we've heard in the clip they really were trying to sell it like one of
1: So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Focus Features
5: presents Back to Black. I
3: want people to hear my voice and just forget their
5: troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know
3: this. I ain't no
5: spy girl. Like never before. That's my
3: daughter. That's
5: my Amy the big screen.
3: I want to be remembered
2: for just being me.
5: Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
2: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva, With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like
1: Keep in mind that if you are a British television viewer in the 1950s, you have two choices of television programming. You have two channels, the BBC and ITV. So Panorama is the biggest news program on the BBC. As I said earlier, it has viewership of 10 million. Uh, It was on weekly every Monday night at 8 p.m., and since 1955, about two years before this prank occurs, it had been hosted by that iconic Richard Dimbleby. He was one of the most well-known, revered public figures in the country. If he said it, people figured it must be true. Uh, so someone once said, one of his coworkers once said of Dimbleby, as quoted in hoaxes.org, that he had enough gravitas to float an aircraft carrier. And this is important because if it had been some other narrator, a lot of people probably wouldn't have taken this as gospel. But because he was the guy saying it, people thought uh, it had to be true, even if it sounded really, really strange. Now, as I said earlier, he had been pitching this idea for a long, long time, it wasn't until 1957 that he was able to convince other people to go along with it. He couldn't do this himself as just the cameraman. So the writer, David Wheeler, loved the idea, because you know, as you know, a lot of these narrators and news programs don't do their own research or writing. So Wheeler was the writer of the program, he loved it, and then they went to the editor, a guy named Michael Peacock, and they said, let's make this weird thing happen. Peacock, of course, is is uh, he likes his coworkers, obviously, uh, and who doesn't like a good joke? But they really have to sell it to him. And Diager stresses: <laughs> Dieger talks turkey. He talks the financial end, which is always, uh, I can assure you, always a great way to start selling stuff in a corporate gig. Uh, he said, "You know, it's going to be cheap to create this. It's not going to be. It's not going to cost us a bunch. I'm already going to be in Switzerland." So we'll, I'll just do that while I'm there. You don't have to pay me extra. We don't have to pay anybody extra to do this. We can just also do it along with the real news we were already planning on reporting.
0: And Peacock went for it. Um, he you know obviously it was a good, good humor dude, and he gave them one hundred pounds with which to uh, to film this extra little side quest with, which isn't a ton of money, but it was enough to you know cover the cost of production of buying some uh some materials, you know, for set dressing. We'll get into it a little bit, but yeah, the writer for Panorama uh was also clearly on board with this prank because he wrote the script in that voice of the show to add it that extra level of credibility that was just really hit home when Richard Dimbleby himself wrote the uh, the 350-word uh, script um, in in those uh, those dulcet tones that the British people knew so well of Dimbleby that, it, that really um, kind of imparted that level of authority to the whole proceeding and made it much more easy to believe that this is what you were, what you were hearing was a real thing. Um, so they set out for Switzerland in March of that year. They have a few, like a like a uh, handler, I guess, from the Swiss tourist office who had helped them scout some locations. Uh, it was kind of nasty weather. It was cold and, and drizzly, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of the trees were bare. But they did eventually find a spot that was suitable for the shoot. It was uh, near a hotel in Castellon off of the shores of Lake Lugano, and it was surrounded by some evergreen Trees, uh, laurel trees. So that was exactly what they needed to to sell the effect, which was uh, which was achieved with some pretty great practicals. If you if you know what I mean, yeah. We get into uh, <laughs> we get into some prop work, uh, the
1: kind of problems that uh, Casey. I know you know this. They could be very familiar to independent filmmakers. Uh, if you've ever worked in something where you are trying to make the perfect fake blood, where you are. You know, uh, I once had, to, we had this actor that we had to paint entirely blue in a way that looked like he was blue and not just painted blue. Anyway, so Diego runs into stuff, stuff like this. Where does his uh, budget go? Well, at least part of it goes to 20 pounds of uncooked homemade spaghetti. He tries to hang it from those laurel tree branches you mentioned earlier, Noel, and then he encounters some problems. First, spaghetti would dry out quickly. It wouldn't hang from the branches right. Uh, they have been kind of taping it up there. Then he said, OK, we'll cook it and then we'll hang it. But then if we cook it, it becomes too slippery and it slides off the branches onto the ground so we can't get the shot. And then the tourist rep from the Swiss tourist office who was hanging out with the there said, OK, let's put the uncooked spaghetti between these damp cloths. We'll keep it kind of uh, moist. Uh, I feel the way uh, about the word moist that you feel about canned spaghettios, by the way. But that's the correct word. They keep it damp. They keep it moist. Uh, And then he hires some uh, local uh, young women to wear the, uh, the traditional national costume of Switzerland. And he films them hanging spaghetti in the trees, climbing ladders with wicker baskets, and then laying the spaghetti in the sun. He gets the shots he needs pretty quickly
4: once they figure out How to get spaghetti hanging from the trees spaghetti cultivation here in switzerland is not of course carried out on anything like the tremendous scale of the italian industry many of you i'm sure will have seen pictures of the vast spaghetti plantations in the po valley for the swiss however it tends to be more of a family affair another reason why this may be a bumper year lies in the virtual disappearance of the spaghetti weevil the tiny creature whose depredations have caused much concern in the past
1: and then, because he's a, he seems like ultimately a really nice dude, he says, hey, you guys are doing such a wonderful job acting. Let me at least make you dinner. And he serves them spaghetti.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I think this is really funny, you guys. It's, it's so, it's, it really does remind me of like a Monty Python sketch. Like there's something, the, the absurdity of this. I don't know. What do you think, Casey? Don't, don't, I don't know. I, I find this delightful
3: it yeah it has that kind of high absurdity and i love the mix of that with the authority of the bbc behind it mm-hmm. it's sort of like the ultimate betrayal in a way because they're sort of branding themselves as like objective truth and so to mess with people there's probably people that were skeptical of it to begin with but they thought well it's the bbc like what right. they're they're not going to mess with this what, is, what are they going to do it, pull it, our funding it, exactly it reminds, exactly yeah. so uh, yeah it
1: reminds me of uh, war of the worlds you know casey on the case dun, dun. so here we go. This there's there's something else that's happening here. So while the footage is rushed back to London, while it's being edited, they're adding music, uh they're they're choosing the right kind of high-minded tone for this. Uh while that's happening concurrently, the editor of the show, Michael Peacock, has been sitting on his decision. He has not told his bosses that they're going to put this April Fool's Day joke in the nation's number one current affairs show because he thought and this is a very reasonable fear. He thought that his bosses might say, What the hell are you doing? We're the number one news show in the entire country. We can't tell people this. Uh, so at the last minute, he tells his boss, Leonard Mile, and nobody else at the BBC knew it. Which means that a lot of BBC employees were watching this when it came on, which means that at least some of those BBC employees may have thought, dang, that's crazy. I I never knew
0: about spaghetti (laughs) and trees. I, I must have missed that in the meeting. I mean, it really is perfectly primed for that response. You know what I mean? Like you, you have you think of something like the BBC, especially a show like Panorama, is like unimpeachable. And then you have that voice that just gives it this gravitas. And to see that, I think even modern audiences might do a, a double take as to like maybe I didn't learn that part in school. You know, I, I honestly believe that that's the beauty of this. And I was listening to it, another podcast about this when we were when we were doing research. I just it's just It's called Weird History Podcast uh, by Joe Streckert. I believe it's a Patreon-supported podcast. So check it out. It's they're short, they're like 12, 13-minute episodes on a little short nugget of goodness from history. And um, he made a really interesting point that this represents like something a lesson that we could learn like and take with us like today the idea of fact checking and like not just believing something that's shoved in front of you just because it has an air of authority to it um and and obviously this wasn't meant to keep people in the dark for long i mean it was obviously going to be revealed that it was a prank that's how april Fool's jokes work and maybe you feel a little hurt momentarily of oh they got me but then if you really take a little step back and have a little self-awareness maybe it taught you a lesson on how you should always think Think about things beyond what's presented to you. So I think that's part of what makes April Fool's interesting, at least in an intelligent prank like this. Yeah, I mean,
4: it's, it's totally, it's played completely straight. After picking, the spaghetti is laid out to dry in the warm alpine sun. Many people are often puzzled by the fact that spaghetti is produced at such uniform length. But this is the result of many years of patient endeavor by plant breeders, Who've succeeded in producing the perfect spaghetti?
1: Just to give you context here, the lineup for the show that day, uh, which I again I, I love this uh, this article from hoaxes.org, but there's a great article about the from the Guardian about this as well. Uh, the lineup was pretty average. Uh, there was a segment about uh, an archbishop who was leader of the Greek Cypriots at the time a clip of the Duke in Edinburgh attending the premiere of a war film, and then a, a, a little piece about a wine tasting contest, and then the spaghetti harvest was the last segment. And after that, it cuts back to, to Dimbleby, who, and he says, just, you know, now we say goodnight on this first day of April. So they put a clue in there. That this was April Fools' right. Like British people may not have known the origin of spaghetti, but they knew what April Fools' was, and that's kind of a hint. You can see in modern news pieces today where you'll read something and then you'll check the byline, especially around April, and you see it says April first, you know, twenty twenty or whatever. That's typically an indication that there's a uh, that there's some shenaniganry going on. House of Works used to do it every year too.
0: That's right. That's right. And and Chuck actually on, on Movie Crush did one one year where he had um, Kevin Pollack in uh, pretending to be Christopher Walken. Kevin Pollack is uh, is famous for his Christopher Walken impression. And he did a whole episode with Chuck where he pretended to be Christopher Walken. And uh, much like the reaction to the spaghetti hoax uh, that the BBC received, some people were all about it and thought it was hilarious and felt in on the joke. Uh, some people felt taken for a ride, and um, were very upset. And they uh, they communicated as such, because if there's one thing people love to do, it's to tell you when they're upset. Um, so yeah, as soon as the broadcast ended, immediately on that night, the BBC's switchboards started lighting up like crazy. One of the producers from the show uh, walked over to the what was called the BBC's telephone exchange to see what was going on, and he uh, wrote this about it. The calls came in increasingly. Some were from viewers who had enjoyed the joke, including one from Bristol who complained that spaghetti didn't grow vertically. It grew horizontally. But mainly the calls were requests for the BBC to settle family arguments. The husband knew it must be true that spaghetti grew on a bush because Richard Dimbleby had said it must be true. And the wife knew it was made with flour and water, but neither could convince the other. I love that because the women had made it, or they or they knew at least enough about the, you know, the process of making spaghetti that they
4: Whereas a husband would have been a total numbskull about stuff like that. And now the harvest is marked by a traditional meal. Toasts to the new crop are drunk in these boccolinos. And then the waiters enter bearing the ceremonial dish. And it is of course, spaghetti. Picked earlier in the day, dried in the sun and so brought fresh from garden to table at the very peak of condition. For those who love this dish, there's nothing like real homegrown spaghetti.
2: Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva, Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
1: So at the time, this is important for the story, at the time the BBC channel was not a 24-hour channel it would cease transmission at a certain hour. And before transmissions closed for that evening, BBC already had turned around, and due to the public outcry, uh, they had broadcasted an additional statement that came clean about the hoax. And it, it's uh, it's long, so I Noel, I'm not going to make you sit here while I read the whole thing out loud. But essentially, they said, we've received a mixed reaction to a spoof documentary about spaghetti crops in Switzerland. And then they describe it, and then they say... Some viewers failed to see the funny side of the broadcast and criticized the BBC for airing the item on what's supposed to be a serious factual program. Others, however, were so intrigued, they wanted to find out where they could purchase their very own spaghetti bush. And then, uh, (laughs) they, uh, they go on and talk about, uh, how spaghetti is not widely eaten in the UK at this time. Uh, they talk a little bit more about the program and, uh, they say, you know, this is a first time television has been used to stage an April Fool's Day hoax. But again, I think I've said this before on one episode or another. But again, people read headlines and retractions are printed on like page 37. And oftentimes when you correct something, it's it's far too late. The lid of Pandora's jar has been unscrewed. So they had this confession on air. They had this statement, but people kept calling they kept calling and kept calling, and eventually the switchboard operators just said, we're going to come up with our own form, like a uh, boilerplate reply. So people would call them over the course of the days and then the following weeks. And these uh, operators would eventually just say, place a sprig of spaghetti in a tin of tomato sauce and hope for the best when people are calling to ask how to grow their own spaghetti tree.
0: And then the spaghetti fairy will come visit you in the night and leave you a shiny new pen, sixpence or whatever. Um, yeah, this is great. Uh, it, it reminds me, too, of there, there's a really great show. It's someone that, that Casey actually hit me to. I was aware of his work on a show called um, The IT Crowd. He plays the boss on the first season of The IT Crowd. It's a guy named Chris Morris. Uh, Well, he he replaces him. Oh, no, no. He's his Uh, son. Yeah. yeah. Chris Chris Morris uh, plays the boss um, on the first season of The IT Crowd. But he actually comes from a really interesting tradition of radio satire and had a show called Jam that's like pre-Tim and Eric, like psychedelic just terror comedy, basically. And then they make it into a TV series, but the first season, I don't know if you know this, Casey, I think we talked about it, is literally just them lip-syncing to the audio from the radio version. And it's just... Blue Blue, Blue Jam, I think it's called. Blue Jam was the radio show. The, The show was called Jam. Highly recommended, but this guy Chris Morris went on to do sort of a hard copy-esque kind of satire show called Brass Eye. And it is very much from this tradition of, that we're talking about here, but much more uh, offensive and and uh, sardonic and just way over the top. And they do episodes, like there's one about drugs, about the drug epidemic sweeping the UK. And is uh, this made up drug called cake. It's like a rave drug, but it makes your neck swell up. It gives you a syndrome called Czech neck, um, I guess like from the Czech Republic is where the drug from comes from. But there's one episode called Pedomageddon that's all about the pedophilia epidemic sweeping London in the UK. And it was so over-the-top offensive. And again, some people thought it was real. People wrote in and called in, because apparently the BBC switchboard's still a thing, uh, you can call in to complain. And they pulled it. So you can only watch it on, on YouTube. But I, I, if you're into some sicko comedy, highly recommend checking out the Brass Eye episode called Pedo-Mageddon.
1: So earlier I had said that there were members of the BBC themselves and BBC employees who were fooled by the spaghetti hoax. One of the people who was fooled was a guy named Sir Ian Jacobs. It's interesting that Surian Jacob was fooled because he was the director general of the BBC. He's the boss, the emperor of the BBC. He's like the Ted Turner of the BBC. Uh-oh. And, and he had uh, he had been sent a note telling him that the this hoax was happening, this prank was occurring, but he had never received the note. And so when he saw the broadcast, uh he wasn't he wasn't sure what to expect. And then Someone on the team talked to Sir Jacob later and he had this to say, which I thought was pretty reasonable and actually reassuring for guys. The the boss of the BBC said, I always used to think monkey nuts grew on bushes till I went to serve in the canal zone, Panama Canal, and saw them growing on the ground. The moment I saw the spaghetti item on Panorama, I said to my wife, I'm sure spaghetti doesn't grow on a bush. So we looked it up in Encyclopedia Britannica do you know Encyclopedia Britannica doesn't mention spaghetti? We had to look up three books before we confirmed it. It's kind of reassuring that at least he's doing his due diligence and research, you know?
0: That is so fascinating though, Ben, because when you when you first said, uh oh, the the director of the B bee- got caught wind of this, I thought that people were heads were going to roll, you know, as they say. But no, I think he he appreciated the joke and, and even had enough humility that he didn't let the fact that he was taken in by the gag, uh, probably because he didn't read his memos. Um, he didn't let that like bruise his ego too much. I appreciate that in a boss, someone that has a little bit of self-awareness and can can take a joke and be the butt of the joke and not get all bent out of shape. I love that.
1: In fact, Sir Jacob himself uh, became a big fan of the hoax. He even sent the Yeager a note saying that he thought it was a splendid idea and that it caused a great deal of delight. Uh, There was some criticism. There were a couple of people who complained that the BBC had taken advantage of the trust of their audience. The Daily Telegraph published a piece saying, BBC fools about with spaghetti, which is a weirdly British headline. Yes, Uh, yes. And I did not know this, but apparently there was a rule for April Fool's Day, at least in uh, the UK, which was that no jokes are supposed to be carried out later than noon, which I didn't know.
3: Uh, Casey, were you familiar with that one? I was not. That's hilarious to me. That um, It's a very specific law. Yes,
0: very pedantically British. I love that.
1: It sounds like somebody was a uh, was a little bit sore about getting fooled by a prank, and then decided it "quote unquote" didn't count because it was at like one thirty
3: or something. Well, and it's like it's like the perfect invitation to publish your joke at like one in the afternoon or something, just to like add the little extra oomph. Mm-hmm. That well, it's afternoon; it can't possibly couldn't be possibly. It must out. be true,
0: mm. even though it was April Fool's adjacent. <laughs> no one would dare break the rules of the BBC. <laughs>
1: The April Fool's Rules. Uh, yeah, so, so now we're in 2020, and uh, we can look back at this, and it seems kind of uh, silly, a bit whimsical, but it is relevant today, especially when we think about just how many points of information are out there for the modern person online every single day. You know, there's there's a huge controversy about uh, whether social media platforms should fact check the articles that their users are disseminating and the claims that they're making. Uh, We see a lot of conspiracy theories, pranks, hoaxes, misinformation and disinformation. Misinformation is when you're uh, sincerely, unknowingly incorrect about something. Disinformation is where you're purposely misleading people. And uh, you have to wonder what Dieger would think of all this. He, by the way, uh, passed away on uh, uh, May nineteenth, two thousand. So he would have been well aware of of uh, the o- of online communication.
0: For sure, and and I just want to double down again just because I'm just such a fan. Uh, I really do feel like this had to have laid the groundwork for a lot of these British satires that we're talking about. This was pre-Monty Python. This was pre-Brass Eye, pre-Chris Morris, pre-all that stuff, and uh, Look Around You. I, I love that. It really uh, and, and American audiences uh, agreed, um, actually. Jack Parr uh, in the 60s um, and Johnny Carson later uh, aired the spaghetti hoax segment on the Tonight Show, um, and then also got nasty letters from people who thought it was real and didn't appreciate it, and they thought they were being they were making fun of farmers or something like that. And Carson apparently a week or so after playing the segment, um, had to <laughs> make a retraction of some sort on on the show where he held up a box of spaghetti and read off the ingredients to prove that spaghetti was in fact made and quote, not born, which I love.
1: And so Panorama retired from the April Fool's Day game. They just did the one to international acclaim and criticism, and they never did a sequel, but it became kind of an in-joke in the world of television. You can see reports uh, that are all kind of uh, paying tribute or homage to this, the Australian spaghetti crop the Dimblebee Pickle Farm, which is the same thing as spaghetti on trees, but it's pickles on trees. Uh, the Pickle Ranch Harvest, it goes on and on. But uh, we do have to say that just because Panorama never did another April Fool's joke, that doesn't mean that the BBC itself never did something. I think it was back in 1980, the World Service, the BBC World Service News, uh, reported gave a lot of people uh, some conniptions when they reported that the famous clock tower, Big Ben, would be given a digital display. Can you imagine that? That would be insane. Uh, and here's here's the coolest part, though. When they announced this, they said not only was it going to be given a digital display, but the hands of the clock
0: would be given away to the first four people who called the station. I love it. I love it you'd think people would know, uh, and, and most people do. And the Brit, you know, the Brits are, 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 are very, uh, witty people, uh, as you can tell again by some of their pop culture stuff. I mean, there's always a great amount of wit and kind of sardonic edge to, to a lot of British comedy. Um, but even still, some people get taken in. It's, it's fascinating. And I absolutely love it
1: now. Uh, I'd like to to pass this over to you folks. Maybe there's a conversation we can continue on uh, the Internet, on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram. What are your favorite April Fool's Day pranks, either the big ones that got national attention or maybe just some of your favorite ones that are a little more close to home in your own life? One of the best places to share these stories is our Facebook page, Ridiculous Historians,
0: which has been having some top tier meme posts lately. Ah, the memery abounds for sure. All you got to do is go to Facebook.com and search for ridiculous historians and just like name me or Casey or or Ben or whomever anyone associated with the show, any little ref from the show, just to let. See, sometimes we have people who are honest and say, I don't know anything about the show, but this seems like a fun group. I'm, I, I'll even let those people in. Sometimes it's not. It's not about being exclusive. It's just we want to make sure you're not like some kind of Russian bot. You can also find us on the social media as individuals. That's right.
1: You can find me on Twitter at Ben HSW, where I uh, am currently reveling in my fascination with Corvids. You can also find me on Instagram where I have a number of misadventures as at Ben That's Corvids, not Covids, right? Yeah. Corvid is a group name for things like
0: crows and magpies and so on. I kid, Ben. I know about your obsession with these little rascals. It was just funny considering that you're um, anti-metal, and these guys love shiny objects.
1: Isn't that a thing? Sure. Not just metal. Horvids are uh, very well known for forming bonds and friendships with humans. And so they try to maybe uh, pay for food and favors by giving humans what they see as human things. So that could be like a button or a coin or, I, I don't know, a, a shoestring. They just find stuff and they're like, that looks like human stuff. That's currency for them.
0: I love the idea of you perhaps commanding sort of like a, a crew of, of, of Corvids that can bring you things and assist you in your in your day-to-day. Sort of like uh, Cinderella gets uh, her dress made by the, the woodland creatures.
1: That's very kind of you. Yeah, I got very close at our old office to befriending uh, some crows who lived in the parking lot of a mall and heck while you're online why don't you tell us a little bit more about any of your interactions with corvids i personally would love to hear them no people can find you online as well
0: right they can there's zero corvid activity on my social media feed at how now noel brown on instagram as many of you know and and rag me about pretty regularly on the internet i am a, i am a bit uh feared of birds corvids in particular but ben you're bringing me around i love this friendship aspect of these creatures that's that's fascinating and very humanizing um huge thanks to super producer casey pegram alex williams who composed our theme christopher hasiotis here in spirit Big, big thanks, of course, to our peer
1: podcaster, Eve's Jeffcoat. She's got some great stuff on the way. Stay tuned for her. And, of course, thanks to our own walking April Fool's prank, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quizster. Uh, I think that's all for us today. We've never done an April Fool's uh, prank episode on Ridiculous History, have we? Let's just hope everybody forgets by April next year.
0: I'm down. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Tired of
1: not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at
0: discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? No, you're a mind
1: reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all?
0: We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships.
1: True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways, of rolling vineyards and castled hills, into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages.
0: That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at
1: avalonwaterways.com.